We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Fired off the boards. It's going to come to center ice, and the Hurricanes will bring it away. Hustling in on the shot on goal. is a rebound. The penalty-killing goalie's the best goalie on the ice, but the power play goalie is here. Lordy. Well, the fans are giving Miller a standing ovation. I hope so. For both his saves. Ryan Miller Knight at KeyBank Center tonight. Jeremy White, Jody Biasi here. I know that save. Do you know that save? Can you can you visualize it in your in your head? Who's the opponent? Carolina. No. It's like a short side save. Dr- Pops out in front. He doesn't see it originally, and then right in time, dives with, like, glove all the way across. Like, in terms of his athletic saves, that's probably, like, one of the the top couple. Playoff save? Or is it just a a regular season game against Carolina? I think that's, like, playoff race 2011. No, that was when I pulled that. I think it was around 2008. Okay. Hmm. All right. So those middle years. Ryan Miller night at the uh, KeyBank Center on the Western Hotline is Marty Baron. Marty, what's up? Good morning, guys. How you doing? Good. Now, very important. Was the big dinner with everybody last night or is it tonight? And if so, do not tell us who was there. <laughs> Joe and I are going to draft alumni that we think will be in town tonight. So without telling us who was there, was it last night or is it tonight? Um, I didn't see anybody last night. Okay. We had rehearsal, obviously, for the big ceremony tonight. Uh, so I was busy with that. I know there's some guys were in town uh, tonight is probably going to be the night where everybody uh, lets loose after the game because some of them are going to go back tomorrow. Some of them are staying until Saturday. So there may be something else tomorrow night, but I think tonight's the night. Like, big event, let's let it loose, uh, let's have fun, and we'll figure out how we feel tomorrow morning. All right, one last question again without telling us who. Are there some wild cards, some X-Factors in the alumni group that fans <laughs> might not expect to see, might be surprised to see a face they haven't seen in a while? Um, there is a couple of names that are uh, we haven't seen in a long time, okay. uh, which will be fun hmm. and interesting. But we did have the list of the alumni in the pregame on Tuesday night. So if you guys we didn't cheated, see it, we didn't see it, you would, you would have seen it. We saw we saw five or six names that we have eliminated from consideration. Yeah, We've from eliminated those five or six names, and we have disqualified you from the draft because I think it's pretty safe <laughs> we, to assume we, you'll yeah, be in the building. We expect you to be there yeah. tonight. So, okay, good, All good. Right. I, I'm happy you guys expect me to be there. That's good. <laughs> well, well, Marty, like, let's let's talk about tonight. You know, a number of the rafters. Uh, RJ night a couple, last year was, was a great night at the arena, and you know RJ's connection with the fans and how long he's been part of the team. This one is a different one. This is this is for a former player. So um, you know what what does it mean for you to be there? What's it mean for Ryan Miller night for this this franchise to honor one of the one of the greats they've had? Well, I think the difference with RJ is RJ was all generations of Sabres fans, right? I mean, from the beginning until 
last year, every like fan of the Sabres that listened to the games on the radio or watched it on TV um, had an association with RJ, which was fantastic. With Brian Miller, it's a certain generation of fans that were really, really into the Sabres. I mean, we're talking about some really successful seasons here for the Sabres and Ryan Miller. And what we saw this year with the return of the Goathead is there is a nostalgia about that generation of Sabres teams. And I think that's what is going to be interesting tonight is a full house, uh, the fans' reaction, but just the, the, the generation of fans that were 18, 19, 20, maybe 25 years old, and now we're looking at 15, 16 years later, and they have their own kids, and they want them to be into the Sabres, and the Sabres are, are helping that cause this year with their place. So I, I think it's going to be interesting to, to connect the generation of fans uh, that want to bring back, you know, the 0506 years and then connect them to this year. And 0506, you know, Marty, that, that's a year where both Ryan Miller and you have great years. It's, you know, it's like a magical year in, in Sabres history and how things went that year. So take us through that, that process of that year going from a team that was not expected to do much to a team that, you know, we all think was absolutely capable of winning the Stanley Cup. So, but you have to go back to the 2003-2004 season where, I mean, it's starting to look good, right? Uh, Drury, Briere, uh, Dumont. Uh, you know, McKee, like, it's starting to really, really look good. Uh, we missed the playoffs in the second last game of the season. I remember we're home uh, playing a game, and then we're scoreboard watching, and after the second period, we found out, well, we've been eliminated. But we were close. And then there's the lockout. And the lockout really, you know, cut the wind out of our sails. And then we start the 05-06 season, new rules, you know, crack down on obstruction and hooking and holding. And for us goalies, it was new equipment, right? We didn't, we had, uh, they shrunk the size of the equipment. So there was a lot of differences. And that season, Ryan Miller started the first 10 games. Like, I remember thinking, okay, this is the time where finally we're going to, we're going to do it. I'm going to be the guy. Well, I didn't play at all during the lockout. Ryan Miller had a fantastic season in Rochester. He won top goalie uh, in the AHL. And then to start the 0506 season, you know, Darcy Regeer and Lindy Ruff are thinking, let's see what we have in this guy. Let's give him, you know, the ball and let's him, let him run with it. Mm-hmm. So he started the first 10 games. I played one game against the New York Islanders, and then the morning skate against the Ottawa Senators, he got hurt broke his hand, and then that's the famous, you know, Havlat Alfredson double hat trick, 10, 10 <laughs> yes. loss. I was at that game. And it was just awful. <laughs> yeah, it was just awful. But so, like, they wanted the young kids, the Ryan Miller, uh, and, 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 well, the rest of the young kids kind of came about the rest of the year, later that year, but they wanted to give Millsy the ball, and he really took it and ran with it. And and that year, I mean, he's he's in the organization for six years before that happens. So is that the year where you kind of go, okay, 
this this kid's got it. Like he he could be a star in this league. Or was there a moment in a camp or a practice before that? Like when did you first know? Okay, he's got it. Um, it was the year of the lockout, and and before that, like I'll be honest with you guys, like as a player, I never paid attention to the draft, right? Because those guys are five six years away, and you're like, well, I may not even be here. Like there's a lot of a time to happen in five or six years. So when Millsy got drafted in 99, I, I have to worry about my own game, my own career, my own progression. I don't, I don't recall Ryan Miller getting drafted. He's a fifth-round pick. Who cares, right? I don't recall Ryan Miller, Michigan State, Hobie Baker, and all of that. I do remember Ryan Miller, 0405 Rochester American. I don't even remember Ryan Miller, like, getting called up in the season prior to that. Like, okay, he's a kid. He's getting called up. He's getting his first NHL game. That's great. Great story. But I'm, I'm the guy now, right? Yeah. So, 0405, I went down to Rochester a few times, and then I watched him play. Well, I watched the team play, and I'm like, oh, I like this Paul Gustav guy. Oh, I like Bombenville. Oh, I like Vanek. I like Roy. I like uh, – you know, everybody else, and this Ryan Miller guy, like, he's pretty good, okay. Like, he's probably going to be my backup for a few years. Whoops, <laughs> that didn't happen. I was his backup for a couple of years, and, and deservedly so. He was, he, was that good. he was that good. Marty, how about the relationship between the two of you as that starts to happen? You know, I mean, like, you've, you've had the net and had tandems around the league with a bunch of different guys, but Ryan would have been, like, the first that would have been an extended period, no? Or, I mean, no, you're with, you're with a lot of even before him, I guess. You're in the league a couple of years before that. So as the, the, yeah. pro, the progression of your, your, your partner, your tandem in net, what was it like with Miller at the start? Well, you know what? I, I, I keep saying your partnership or your relationship with your – your goalie partner um, is a weird one, right? Because you both want to play, but depending on where you are in your career, on your age, or what you've accomplished, like it could change um, the relationship. With, with Ryan Miller, what really helped, and I, I'll be honest with you, like I wasn't happy that I didn't play the first 10 games of the season. Um, and I wasn't happy that the Sabres were, were trying to give Millsy uh, the 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 net, but he got hurt and I got to play a lot, and that allowed me to just you know play and not think about it. And by the time Millsy came back around Christmas New Year's, we have a pretty good goalie battle going on. And I'm like, okay, I'll I'm gonna finish the season and I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna focus on if I play I play if I don't play. I got to be the best teammate I can be. And, and really the point of that was I thought I was going to be gone the summer of 06. Like I really thought, well, they're not going to keep me around if they're going to want Miller to be the guy. So I'm like, I'm just going to do everything I can to, to, to better myself in a way. And then I'll be gone. Well, the summer of 06, I got resigned because I was still RFA for one more year. And then I've got another season. So I'm like, well, now I really have to, you know, help the team. We have this fantastic team that lost in this most unexpected way against Carolina. I want to win. I'd like to win a cup. Um, I got I to gotta do my part. And if my part is to be the, the best backup I can be, 
then I got to do that and I got to help him. So we really worked well together. We, um, you know, we were both tall and skinny guys. Uh, we were student of the games, of the game and the NHL. So, so we worked really well together. It was unfortunate I got traded. Now it was good for me, but I really could have stayed an extra three months and said, okay, I'm going to be a part of the present trophy of the playoffs and whatnot. Well, I got traded to Philly and I got a leg up in my, uh, my start with the Flyers. Marty, when you, when you talk to Ryan Miller about the time he had here after you left, what does he have to say about it? That it, uh, that it was different? I mean, the, the teams that had success here got a lot of people, you know, drunk on Sabres hockey and success and loving it. And then things obviously did not go as planned from that point forward. There were two playoff appearances. He won a Vezina trophy, so he had success. But I would imagine that years after those first two conference final runs, that for Miller, the pressure got dialed up and the results from the team were not what he was probably hoping for. Yeah, we never really talked about it a whole lot, other than the fact that I remind them as much as I can that um, the New York Islanders, and I was on the Islanders team, um, we beat them 5 nothing in Long Island one year, and he got pulled after three, and Patty Lame had to go in the net. So I keep reminding them that. Like, hey, Millsy, remember when we beat you 5 nothing in Long Island? And he keeps laughing about it. But, um, no, I never really talked to him about what was different. And I know that you're right. There was a lot of differences after Drury left, uh, Briere left. And then, you know, bit by bit, the core group that was Brian Campbell leaves, right? There was a, a, a big shift forward. And I'm pretty sure, um, you know, knowing Ryan Miller, he put a lot of that pressure on his shoulders and the fact that it didn't go as well as it did before um, had to be pretty tough on him and on a lot of the guys that were in that locker room at the time. When you watch his game, like what what was it to you as from a goalie perspective that made him so good? Like was it strictly just like so technically sound that there wasn't a lot of overcommitting? Like when you would watch his game, like what would you see that you thought made him so good? See, funny enough, I, I didn't think Milsey was a good technical goaltender. Like he moved in a way that sometimes he was like backwards in his net or sideways. Um, he was extremely athletic. And that was his, his, probably his best asset is the fact that he recovered so well in situations where I thought he was beat. And his anticipation and his reading of the play was off the map. Like, he knew what was going to happen uh, before it actually happened. And the best goalies in the league, you know, Dominic Hasek, Ryan Miller. I played with Henrik Lundqvist. Like, it almost like Henrik Lundqvist would slow the game down. Um, I feel like Ryan Miller, his, his read and his anticipation was what set him apart. Like, guys would say, how did he, how did he know I was backdoor? How did he know I was going to the glove side? Like, he just read the place so well that it, uh, it set him apart. So tonight, you've got the alumni, you've got the game, you've got Ryan Miller night. Marty, uh, if we could switch to the actual hockey team, they could use some points here, right? They could find their game again and beat an opponent that's in front of them. If they want to get in this playoff race, 
they're not that far out of it. They probably are in it, um, but they, they they might they might be a good time to find their their A game soon. Yeah, and I I feel like their A game now has to be focused on on defensive side of the game, and and, and I'll include goaltending in there just because. Brian Duff has this this stat this year. I mean, you can find it anywhere. But basically, the Sabres have only one win when scoring three goals or less. All their wins are four or more goals this year. You've got to be able to win games 3-2 and 2-1. And I understand that scoring goals is great. And to be able to be top five, top three, tops in the league in goals scored per game is an achievement. And it's going to get you somewhere because of the way that the game is played now. There's a lot more offense. But you still have to win, you know, the two-to-one game and the three-to-two games at time. And against Chicago, it was probably more on display right there. They were up 3-1 after two. They never got the fourth goal. But you still have to lock it down and win that game 3-1 or 3-2. They lose it 4-3 in overtime, right? So, so for me, that's the focus now. You're in January, February, March. The defensive side of the game has to shine, has to come through. Uh, you have to have a goalie steal your game. And we haven't had that. And that's why I think the Sabres are struggling of late a little bit. And on that like goalie stealing games, UPL had a really good run there, Marty. We're watching, you know, his development and the Sabres being willing to lean on him a bit more. How have you, you know, we're talking about Ryan Miller technically right here. How have you liked what Lukanen has done to, I don't know, sharpen his game up? I think there's there's two parts of, of Lukanen's game that are completely opposite. One um, is, is down low game, around the net, his lateral movement. Like, he's extremely, incredibly uh, good at taking away the bottom of the net of the post plays, the, the quick deflections, the quick passes to the slot. He's really good. And then there's the long-range game where shots from the point with screens and deflections, um, you know, where he has to battle through it. Um, I feel like that needs a lot more help. That needs to be worked on. Uh, and it has for the last few years, and it has gotten better. But that, to me, is the the two polar opposite of his game right now. Uh, so uh, it's it's getting better, and he's developing, and he's progressing, which I love to see. It hasn't stayed plateaued. It hasn't stalled. He keeps progressing, and he keeps getting better. And I think that's why the Sabres now have made the decision to put, like, Vinny Hennis throws on waivers yesterday, because – they want to be able to say, hey, this is where we have. We have three goalies right now. We're not moving Anderson. We're not moving Comrie. But Ukopeka Lukanen is the guy that we're focusing on, and we have to continue to develop. Marty Baran on the Western Hotline. Marty, have a good time tonight. Enjoy the game. Enjoy the weekend with um, everybody that's back in town. Well, I, uh, I'm going to take tomorrow off on Sabres Live because I, <laughs> I anticipate I may have to recover. All right. <laughs> well, enjoy. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks, Marty. Marty Braun in the Western Hotline. Hmm. On our draft of the alumni that are going to be there, I now feel like we can't do it because the list was public and people will be able to, like, just, I did not see it on Tuesday night on the broadcast. I did not either. We could still do it. No one has sent it in, though, right? No. I was thinking, though, about an idea. 
like the Sabres have their ceremony all planned out. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying they should do it differently, but entertain this idea for next time. The next Jersey retirement. All right. Tage Thompson. Is that, is that who's next? <laughs> Who is next? Is Tage the favorite to be the next Jersey uh, retirement? He could be, couldn't he? Isn't it possible he is the fa- Darlene, I guess, could could be the same. But who's going to retire first? Who's not on the team right now that would have a jersey retired? Nobody, right? I mean, my not only retiring. thought would be McGillney, but I don't think they would retire McGillney. Yeah. Wouldn't there. they have done that by now? You yeah. Would, you would think. I mean, they took a long time to get around to Dominic Hasek. But there were other reasons for that, weren't there? Like the way it ended? Maybe. The breakup? Well, anyway. They didn't want him to get booed let's when, say- <laughs> when he was jersey would be retired? Let's say it is Tage Thompson. Instead of the traditional jersey ceremony, here's what I think you should do. You bring 20 alumni back. You don't tell Mm -hmm. him who's back in town. And then you have a Royal Rumble-style entrance with the the (laughs) clock ticking down three, (laughs) two, one. And then I want to dance with somebody. Oh, it's Jeff Skinner. Skinner. (laughs) You play the goal song. He skates out on the Uh, ice. Oh, next. They talk talk for a minute, and then the countdown tick. It's ABBA. Right. Victor Olofsson. <laughs> Olofsson's back. And nobody knows who's here yep. except the, the game presentation people. And it ends up being a mix between a Royal Rumble and This Is Your Life and a Jersey retirement. And Tage doesn't even know who's going to be there. That's and, I love that. Oh, who's this? Oh, it's All right. It's Patrick Berglund who's here. I'd, I'd like to. Oh. <laughs> wow. I'd like to start a motion to put Jeremy in charge of all Jersey <laughs> retirement ceremonies from here on out. Sabotka. It's got to be Sabotka's coming out right now. <laughs> he was a part of that trade package. <laughs> I'm just saying. I like it. You know? All right. Uh, Chris Trapasso on the other side. We're going to talk a little bit about this Bills Bengals matchup and about the big topic around town this week, which has been Josh Allen throwing the ball deep. Chris wrote a piece for CBS Sports about. That and supporting it in a big way, saying the Bills should absolutely lean into this strength of Allen to throw the ball deep. So we'll get to Chris Trapasso, and coming up at 9 o'clock, Ian Eagle, CBS. He's got the call of the game on Sunday against Cincinnati. Jeremy White, Jody Biasi here on WGR. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Well, I think earlier, Sal, I think was the one that talked about smart, not conservative, and there's calculated. Anytime you, th- anytime you have the ball in your hand, there's calculated risk involved. There's risk involved overall. You know, it's, it's just an important piece of winning games is complementary football. You know, it's clear that we make it awfully hard on ourselves sometimes, which the good part of that is that we figure out ways to win. Sean McDermott. On one of the big conversations this week, we're gearing up for Bills-Bengals and the matchup between Buffalo-Cincinnati, their stud quarterbacks, their high-powered offenses, and uh, the matchup that we didn't get to see the full matchup because of what happened with DeMar Hamlin, who, by the way, is at the Bills facility every day. That's kind of the report that he's not exactly working out and getting back to playing football, but uh, Sean McDermott revealing he's at the facility every day. So the Bills are seeing their, their teammate Hamlin on a regular basis. And, uh, you know, more good news on that front. On the Western Hotline is Chris Trapasso, who is a uh, friend of the show. Good to have him on as, uh, you know, 
fairly regular guest. Chris writes for CBS Sports, draft stuff, young player stuff, and wrote this week about the Bills' aggressiveness against Miami. So we wanted to bring him on. Chris, good morning. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. So you want the Bills, you wrote, effectively, right? You want the Bills to maybe lean into what they did against Miami as much as they feel like they should. Yeah, I definitely think so. And and what's something that I'm really grateful about with my job is I can watch a Bills game. I'm here in Western New York, obviously, for those who don't know that already. Um, I go to the games with my dad. It's it's one thing to watch a game live, and we know it's an experience, especially when it's a tight game for the Bills. I'm so grateful that I sometimes am uh, fortunate enough to be able to go back and write about the Bills and watch the film because I went into this film session thinking – Josh Allen must have just missed a ton of checkdowns. There was open receivers underneath. And this article is going to pretty much be easy to write. It's going to write itself that it's just going to say, hey, Josh Allen needs to check it down a lot more frequently than he did. When I watched the film, I, there was not very many occasions that I witnessed that there was wide open receivers, even at the intermediate level. The Dolphins did a really good job. It, it was certainly risky. But to just blitz a lot, to try to force turnovers, which they did, which also left them very susceptible to the deep pass. And Josh Allen had seven big-time throws. Those are those high degree of difficulty throws, usually 20-plus yards down the field. And seven is a crazy high number in that game. So I think with his arm, with maybe the Dolphins kind of, I guess, laying a blueprint for how teams maybe want to attack Josh Allen in some situations – the Bills should lean into it and say, you know what, if you want to send those all-out blitzes, we're going to take the chances because we believe that our quarterback can make throws that maybe a defensive coordinator wouldn't even scheme to stop because they don't seem physically possible when you're drawing it up during the week. Yeah, it's one of the things, Chris, about it that's, that I find fascinating is the Dolphins decided this was their best chance to win, and they were in the game, mm-hmm. right? This, yeah. You're almost saying we can't beat you, not that we can't beat you straight up, but we've got to play an aggressive style and hope that you make mistakes. Part of the question is, do you think other teams will view what Miami did as a good idea? I think they'll view it as if we get down maybe by 10, maybe by 14 to the Bills, like the Dolphins were, they were down 17 nothing and then 34-24, that they can go into that part of their game plan. But I don't think we're going to see the Bengals on Sunday or if the Bills advance, any other teams just be that reckless with the cover zeros, with no safety help, or letting Stephon Diggs be one-on-one on the perimeter, or even Gabe Davis on the sideline without any safety help over the top. So, like I said, I I think it will be part of a blueprint, but I think we're more likely to see teams sit back in coverage uh, than try to attack Josh Allen that way. Because one thing that didn't happen, and I think is kind of being undersold about how good the Dolphins were defensively, playing man coverage like that and blitzing as frequently as they did, they were also very susceptible to Josh Allen run. They did a great job staying in their rush lane and not allowing him to hit those big runs. A couple times he tried to get out and run, um, but was actually sacked for like a zero-yard loss, but it goes down in the stat book as a sack. I think if you do that throughout a game consecutively or if other teams try that, you could be having a Josh Allen game where he runs for 60 or 70 yards, and that's usually 
a recipe for disaster for an opposing defense. I saw Chris Sims tweeted about this, about the matchup and what Miami also did. It was Miami, his opinion, his take was, the Miami thought, we can cover you in man. And while not many corners can cover Stephon Diggs, and he did burn them, and Gabe Davis had a couple of big catches, do you think that the Bills have the receivers to do it like this? If if teams want to play them man up, do they have the receiving core to beat that? Yeah, I I saw Sims tweet too. I, I don't think teams are as scared of the Bills receiving group, obviously, as the last couple of years. But, yes, I do think the complement with, with Dawson Knox in there being an athletic tight end uh, with kind of this suddenly loaded group of slot receivers with Khalil Shakir making plays, Cole Beasley out there starting to get uh, acclimated to the offense, Isaiah McKenzie getting healthier, like you mentioned, John Brown. I, I think they have enough talent and diverse talent that Josh Allen can tap into it. Um, where, again, I don't think a team would be saying, hey, look, let's try to cover these guys. Man, uh, and, and I think what's important is Xavier Howard is a really good man-to-man cornerback. Cater Cadu, who was their rookie that's played very well this season for the Dolphins, also proved to be very good in man coverage. So I think the Dolphins were kind of uniquely uh, designed to say, hey, look, we're not just going to blitz because we're kind of up against it, but we actually feel confident really in, in our – cornerbacks against any offense that we face in any group of receivers this kind of almost sets up for i mean if playoff gabe is going to continue to be a mantra of gabe davis right like isn't this kind of the style of defense that he needs to win against i mean those deep balls late in the game one-on-ones even when the route or the play wasn't designed for him you know Diggs is the first player we think of for that but i wonder if if defenses are going to maybe give that that one-on-one matchup with Gabe Davis. And Allen, I mean, I don't know, Chris, is it a good idea or not for him to continue to go that way? Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think, you know, that I said earlier, and I think we all agree that opposing defenses and their defensive coordinators are not going to say, let's blitz Allen 40% of the time and play cover zero the whole game. So the opposite of that is kind of funny what we were kind of saying, hey, you know, the Bills need those deep balls but they're not getting them because teams are going to play a lot of two deep safety looks. So I think um, in, in doing that, we've seen that mostly earlier in the season that Josh Allen is willing to go underneath and to be healthier at wide receiver. Now to have Cole Beasley back in the mix, you suddenly could have a game maybe even on Sunday where the underneath game is the part and, and Josh Allen completes 75% of his passes and there aren't a lot of those big-time throws. So I, it's kind of like pick your poison, and I think that's a good position for the Bills to be in entering this game on Sunday. Not too tough to make the connection. Pick your poison on the other side. Let's get into this matchup against Cincinnati. How can the Bills defend Chase, Higgins, Boyd? We know that Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott are some of the best at scheming up pass defense. They've done it for five years. Mm-hmm. Is this yep. their biggest test? Yeah, it's... It is on paper in terms of pass defense, but uh, I don't think we can overstate how important the Bengals' offensive line injuries are to this game. That it, if they were going in with a, with their full complement of their offensive linemen, or maybe even just without Lyle Collins, it would be extremely difficult because of just Tyler Boyd, Jamar Chase, and T. Higgins. What they do in terms of being a diverse group, that Jamar Chase is the uh, yards after the catch guy, it's also good down the field. T. Higgins is the big body guy, and then Tyler Boyd can really play anywhere and mostly in the slot, but certainly can win on the outside as well. 
it's a lot different. We saw in that second half after Jonah Williams went down for the Bengals against the Ravens, it kind of uh, reduced the playbook for what the Bengals could do offensively. They really didn't take that deep shot down the field because although Joe Burrow is good at tapping into all the athleticism that he has, uh, he's not someone that's going to evade pressure like a Patrick Mahomes or a Josh Allen. So they don't want him taking a ton of hits. They know, you know, a bunch of sacks is usually going to correlate to failed drives and not scoring 30 points, which is probably the goal for this game. So I think in the secondary, yes, but up front, the front seven, how much they blitz Milano and Edmonds lately post Von Miller injury. I think I'm not saying that it's an it's an easy matchup for Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier, but certainly makes things a lot easier on that side of the ball. And just getting Christian Benford back. I think, you know, the Bills had a lot of faith in him. He's a bigger corner. He plays the football very well. To have pretty much outside of Micah Hyde a potentially fully healthy secondary for the first time in a long time will go a long way in the Bills doing what they want to do schematically on Sunday. You sound like if Benford is ready to go, to you, might be a good idea to have him in there, even on a rotation. Elam is, I mean, a lot of the the momentum for that position sounds like, okay, Elam, man-heavy, he's got good length. You know, that could fit well if they're going to play some man coverage, if they have to, against these Bengals receivers, but... I don't know. Should that not be automatic to you? That it shouldn't just be Elam all the time, opposite of Tredavious White? I don't think so. I mean, I think, you know, look back to two weeks ago um, with Kyrie Elam playing against the Patriots, not finding the football on that uh, Devontae Parker touchdown, and then he didn't play a lot more, and, and Sean McDermott was down on him a little bit. It just kind of shows how funny uh, reputations can change, just really one week difference, and now suddenly Kyrie Elam is apparently very confident. I think when Christian Benford is back, there does need to be or should be a rotation, maybe just because uh, Christian Benford hasn't played in a while and because I think you're happy with the direction that Kyrie Elam is going in and his style where he excels in man coverage is probably a better fit for what you need to do against Jamar Chase and company. But the Bills have really done it all season, whether it was Dane Jackson and Christian Benford earlier in the season when Trey White was out or Dane Jackson and Kyrie Elam. With Christian Benford back, it's, it's almost like what we hear with offensive lines at times. Like, get your best five guys out there. And I think Christian Benford is one of the best um, and, and most disruptive at the catch point cornerbacks on this team. He needs to be in the rotation on Sunday. Chris Trapasso on the Western Hotline. Are you picking him to win, Chris? Yeah, I am. I, I think it will be a close game uh, throughout, but really the offensive line for the Bengals – Certainly, being that the season is on the line, I don't think that they're just going to come out and try to run the ball and be super conservative like they were against the Ravens in that second half where they were kind of in that emergency situation. But with the blitzing uh, through the A-gaps, the delayed blitzes, I think getting experience blitzing over the last two months, a lot more with Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano, like I said earlier, is really beneficial to those linebackers. That The timing of it, understanding when and where they need to blitz, um, I think will go a long way to disrupting Joe Burrow enough where he's certainly going to hit some throws, but not enough big throws to ultimately lead the Bengals to a win. I think the Bills win this game, not comfortably, but I don't think it's going to come down 31-30, anything like that. I, I think the offensive line for the Bengals is that big of a story um, and will really help the Bills, um, like I said, schematically and just not have to have a perfect game offensively to win. 
Is that why like they're they're five they're five point favorite now, and I think I even saw it one place now that might be up at five and a half. That spread has continued to move towards the Bills. I don't know how much you look at that, but is that is that we think maybe all it is is just panic about the Bengals' offensive line and Burrow running for his life the whole day? Yeah, I think that's what it is. I think, uh, you know, pre-injury last week, I don't know if there were early lines out, but I would have um, expected it to be probably just Bills being that home advantage uh, three-point favorite, but it, it's continuing to go up probably because of that, because it yeah. is that big of a deal that Joe Burrow, again, he, he probably on Sunday one or two times at least, will make a defender miss where it looks like there's going to be a sack, but I think he is going to be under a lot of pressure frequently. He's good under pressure, but the sacks are a big kind of uh, weakness to his game that he does take a lot of sacks. A lot of pressures get converted to sacks for him, a lot higher rate than Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes. That will be the difference in this game, and I think that's why the point spread is so high. Last one for me, because the way the season ends will always shape how we talk about the offseason. If the season were to end on Sunday, what would your guess, best guess be? At, what's the thing that we are microanalyzing for the next five months that comes from that game? I would say probably uh, secondary wide receiver. That I mean, I said earlier that I think they're good enough that Josh Allen can get the most out of them, as we've seen this season. I mean, they're they're second in points per drive this year. Uh, you know, pretty much near the top of the league, top two or three in a lot of offensive stats. I think looking around at the rest of these playoffs, though, uh, the complement, the deepness of other receiver groups, when you throw in tight ends and you're looking at the Eagles, the 49ers, and the other conference, I think that will be the biggest thing that, you know, maybe a drop pass here from a Dawson Knox or a uh, missed or, or a uh, um, time where. Isaiah McKenzie can't find the football, something like that where the Bills would need to add, you know, a more marquee talent after Stephon Diggs into this offense. Chris Trapasso on the Wester hotline. We're just uh mis- Should I ask Chris the question real yeah, quick? Yeah, All right, sure. T- t- quick it's a, answer. It's a tough one. Would you rather start your franchise right now with Josh Allen or Joe Burrow? Ooh. I would say Josh Allen and I always go into the trait based Mm-hmm. answer being a draft guy that I think they're pretty much equal in terms of what they can do as passers, but Josh Allen gives you that running uh-huh. ability and he's got a stronger arm. So I would lean Josh Allen. Well, okay. prepare for a fiery uh, get, get next, your, next hour on Bill's Twitter. Get your bulletin boards ready. Bulletin boards. Get yes. your bulletin boards out. you got to buy a new one because... I wanted to add one thing that I heard you guys talking about earlier about failed drives and the turnovers. We didn't really talk about those. Yeah, 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 yeah. I looked, yeah, I looked it up. The Bills have 83 successful drives this season, either a touchdown or a field goal, against 74 failed drives. The Chiefs are almost identical. 83 successful mm-hmm. drives and only yep. 71 failed drives. Yep. So it's really, it's like you mentioned, the turnovers, whether it's a turnover, a fumble, a or punt. a punt, it doesn't really matter that much. And the Bills and the Chiefs are almost identical. The Bengals are, are right behind both of those teams, but when you really look at it that way, I thought that was a smart way to do it. And the Bills and the Chiefs, pretty much three more unsuccessful drives for the Bills, but the exact same amount of successful drives this year. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, guys. Yeah, everyone, everyone's coming over. Joe, punts or turnovers. Yep. Everyone's getting on this train.
Punts are turnovers. I think coaches but are starting to they are. get on it, too. Slowly. But listen, there's no time for that. I need you to go and buy bulletin boards because okay. we got a lot of bulletin board material. <laughs> yes. Dan Graziano, Bart Scott, Rob Ninkovich, Damian Woody all pick Burrow over Allen if starting a franchise. Four, four for, for four. four. Burrow over Allen. Crazy. Put. We're calling uh, Rory at Zoom Copy who makes all the banners and the murals. I want that thing on the side of the Ad Pro Sports Complex. Yep. That picture in Josh Allen's locker yes. all week. Bulletin boards like we've never seen before. Bill should be a seven-point favorite yes. now after that just happened. <laughs> no. Make him seven-point underdogs. Put that on the board, too. Right. Yeah. Wow. Four for four. All I right. could just make him. I could create my own sports book and make him a seven-point underdog, and then that'll fire him up. Four like for it. four. Pick of the week when we get back. Ian Eagle, CBS, joins us top of the hour. Our thanks to Chris. Always a great guest. We'll be talking lots of uh, wide receiver two in the offseason if, in fact, the season ends. Well, whenever. They're going to draft no matter what. All right. We'll get a break in. Pick of the week next. Time for the uh, pick of the week. Very quickly, then we get to Ian Eagle, who's going to be on the call of Bills and Bengals. Pick of the week, Joe. Brought to you by Riverfront Auto Sales and their pick of the week, which is a, uh, well, my pick of the week with them, a 2016 Cadillac SRX Luxury Edition, contemporary and classy. Crossover SUV can handle a Buffalo winter with only 60,000 miles. This SUV won't last. So buy it now at riverfrontautosales.com. Head to the website. Call Marty Sr., Marty Jr. uh, at 886-1626 today. So that's their pick of the week. My pick of the week, I mean, I've got Ryan Miller night. You've got Chiefs Jags. Mm-hmm. You've got. I'm all about that Chiefs Jags game. Bills Bengals. You've got. Arsenal, big Premier League game this week anywhere? Arsenal Man United. Okay, that's good. Ele- Today. 11.30 on Sunday. Today you've got City versus Spurs Ooh. at 3 o'clock. So that's okay. pretty good. That is pretty big. Liverpool Chelsea on Saturday morning. It's actually a very good weekend. It is. Although both Liverpool and Chelsea maybe stink. Um. And that's that's it for this weekend. That's that yeah, Arsenal Man United though. That's 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 the one I'll be though. Sabres Islanders tonight. That, I mean that's an important it's, in, in it's good important matchup. in the standings. Yes, it is. Yeah. And then the Sabres are off for Anaheim and the Stars. A little bit of a Western swing. The Blues. Um, we'll make it Ryan Miller night, right? Why not? My, Ryan Miller night should be your pick of the week. A lot of people are going to go down. Yep. Downtown should be a great vibe, great scene, and uh, an important game as well. When we get back, Ian Eagle, he'll be on the call for Westwood One. So, yeah, you got Nansen Rome on CBS. Ian Eagle is going to be on Westwood One. So he'll have, he'll have the radio call with Ross Tucker on the game as the Bills and Bengals play Sunday at 3. We'll get a little bit more Bills-Bengals chatter. And, I mean, talk about who you'd start a franchise with. They did that on ESPN. Look at, look at this matchup. It's already getting out the uh, who would you rather have Burrow or Allen conversations going. So um, maybe the answer will be different. Come Sunday about 6 o'clock, 6.30. Jeremy White, Jody Biasi. We'll get to Ian Eagle next here on WGR. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.